Thanks for listening to the Imago Day podcast. If you live in the Portland area, we'd love to invite you into the life of our community. You can find out what's going on at idcpdx.com slash events or on social media at Imago Day PDX. Thank you, Cheryl. Good morning, everybody. You showed up on Memorial Day weekend. You get huge awards in heaven. Um, we're glad that you're here today. Um, I want to today. I want to talk about encountering God, uh, which is kind of this big idea. You know, one of the tenets of Christianity is that God is relational. God can meet with us. But what does that mean that God is personal? What does it mean that we can encounter God? That, that the God who is is actually a God that wants to be in relationship with us. What does that mean as a church? What should a church be doing if we want to encounter this God? And the way I want to do it is I want to look at three people, three sort of biographies of people who encountered God in very different ways. Um, in people in very different circumstances that encounter God in very different ways. Uh, and, and the beautiful thing about Scripture is that, that, that Scripture reveals God to us in story. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've kind of picked up on that, but God didn't write a, a wiki page for himself, right? It, it, it's a story that shows kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of humanity, of creation, and even of God, right? Things that we don't understand, things that are confusing. Uh, And we get it in story because story is the way that we apply kind of the, the point and the message to our own life. We can enter in to a story. And so I want to look at three people today. I want to look at Jacob, I want to look at Moses, and I want to look at Elijah. Now, before we look at them, I want you to humanize them. These uh, are not superheroes. These are like your neighbors. These are normal people. Actually, there are people that are uh, not really good people for the most part. And they are people who encounter God. And so what I want to do is I want to go through the narratives and then we will talk about it afterwards. Does that make sense? All right. If it doesn't, we're still going to do it. All right. So the first one is Jacob. Now Jacob is uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? He is one of the fathers of Israel. In fact, he is the one who becomes Israel and for which, who has the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and Jacob's name means deceiver uh, in Hebrew. I'm sure it doesn't in any baby books in America, but it does in Hebrew. And he lives up to his name, him and his mom, sort of collude to steal the birthright that was supposed to go to Esau. He runs for his life, like leaves his family around age 20. He runs from God and he runs into God 
has this huge encounter with God at the age of 20. He goes and lives with his uncle Laban and works with him for uh, about 20 years. He marries and has kids, and the entire time for those 20 years, he is encountering like a worse version of himself in his uncle, someone who is more deceptive, who is more sort of uh, taking advantage of him over and over for these 20 years. And then the time comes when he has to go back home and face his past, to go back and face the brother that he ripped off, that he stole the birthright from, and all that that sort of family system uh, represents. I don't know if you've ever had to deal with a family system, uh, but that's what he's about to go do. And we pick up on it the night before he meets his brother in Genesis chapter 32, and it says this. That night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions, and he was left alone. And the man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your, no, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And Jacob called the place Penel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Penel, and he was limping because of his hip. I love this passage. If, if you've been around Mago, you've heard me preach on Jacob a lot, and I love the story of Jacob. Um, it, it's a fascinating story because God shows up and literally attacks Jacob, right? This isn't a God who's like, hi, I love you, you know, like, look at me, I'm so beautiful. It's like, wham, just just sticks him right and all of a sudden he's and, and the crazy thing is Jacob is like beating him at one point and I guess God is like oh wow you're strong and then he's just like bonk and Jacob's like ah my hip you know he's like he's God doesn't fight fair we know this um and and there's this sense that God shows up as a wrestler with Jacob and meets Jacob in a fight, like in this sweaty, physical, like all night long battle that is so uniquely Jacob because Jacob fought with people all his life. And so God shows up as a wrestler and meets him in wrestling and, and basically changes him in this encounter, like is, is 
holding on to him where he's, he keeps asking, what's your name, what's your name? And Jacob has to answer, I have been a deceiver. I have to come face to face, not just with God, but face to face with myself. And as I go back and see my brother tomorrow, I have to recognize who I am and who I have been. And in that moment, God changes him from Jacob to Israel. And the mark of Israel is not a defiant, deceptive, uh, self sort of, uh, self-aggrandizing man, but a, a limping Israel. If you want to know what a transformed Jacob looks like, it's a, it's a man walking with a cane named Israel, dependent on God. It's the only person in Scripture that God meets in this unique way. And it's such a a beautiful way that I I love the fact that God meets Jacob in this way. When when I first became a Christian, it was so difficult for me to relate to Christianity because it was so nice. It was so clean. It was so gentle. It, it was so fluffy and mushy, right? And, and I remember reading Jacob's story, and I was like, oh, okay. Because that's sort of what God did to me, right? I remember waking up, and my room was tossed, and I had, like, blood on my knuckles. And two hours later, I was sitting in church, like, I have no idea why I'm here. And, and it was kind of that wrestling match. And it, it means that God is going to meet you uniquely the way you need to be met, which is really good news. All right, the next story, we go to Moses. Now Moses, uh, Moses is born, he's a Jewish boy that's born during a time when Pharaoh is committing genocide for all Jewish boys. And by God's sovereign sort of uh, will, Moses is taken into Pharaoh's home, raised in Pharaoh's home for 80 years, raised as if he is Egyptian royalty. And in that setting, he begins to become aware of his identity as a Hebrew. And he recognizes that even though he, everything about him looks like he's an Egyptian and part of Pharaoh's palace, that, that the Pharaonic empire is oppressing, deeply oppressing the people of God, the people of Israel. And one day, Moses sees one of these Egyptians beating one of these Hebrew slaves to the point where he kills him and Moses murders that Egyptian and is on the run for his life. We often don't realize that Moses is a murderer when we think about these great heroes of the faith. And so as he's on the run for his life, he is out tending his flock in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, Moses is tending the flock of Jephro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness 
And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn. And Moses thought, I'll go over to see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from in the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. He says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he, he was afraid to look at God. Now, this is so critical for Moses because Moses has sort of lost his identity as uh, being a true Israelite. And God shows up to him in the holiness of this crazy phenomenon. It's called a theophany where this bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. It's the holiness of this place. And he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hides his face. And God says, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians, from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out into the land of the good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. And he then calls Moses to be a deliverer. And Moses is kind of like, ah, I don't know if I should do that. And has a little discussion with God. Who should I say sent me? And he says, <clears throat> say to them, I am sent you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so Moses, raised in palaces and opulence that goes on the run for murder, who is always hiding, he was hid as a baby, hiding in a palace, hiding his identity. Now he's hiding in the desert, and in the midst of all his hiding, God shows up in a bush in the desert which is like you can't really get away from God. And even in the, that barren place, it, God's holiness can show up and speak from the inside of a bush. Moses' encounter m takes him from being a murderer of Egyptians to the rescuer and the redeemer of Israel. It's this moment in time that radically alters his life. The second encounter I want us to look at is Elijah. Elijah is a prophet, and Elijah has been uh, in some pretty intense uh, encounters with the prophets of Baal. In fact, all of Israel, for the most part, has given themselves over to worshiping Baal and, and the king has and the king's wife has and, and the, Baal has a lot of different prophets and Elijah uh, prophesied a drought would come and that drought had been going on for three years and people are really wanting it to rain and 
So there's this power encounter between Yahweh and Baal, and, and Elijah is right there in the center of it. The prophets of Baal, they make a sacrifice to get it to rain, and they put a big, uh, they sacrifice a bull, and they begin to sing and dance and pray, and they do it from sort of sun up to sundown. They cut themselves. They do it for hours and hours. And Elijah, Elijah starts mocking Baal. They say, well, maybe you, need to, you, you might need to cry a little louder. Maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he's sleeping. He's, he's very sarcastic when it comes to Baal. Um, and then Elijah, when it comes to Yahweh, he's like, pour water on it. Like, just drench it in water, and fire comes down and consumes it. And then he looks out, and he sees the cloud way off in the distance, the size of a hand, and pretty soon, water is over the whole place. And Elijah has to go on the run because people are trying to kill him. Even though it rained, they weren't happy. They uh, are still trying to kill him. And he is absolutely burned out. And while he's running, uh, the word of the Lord comes to him. And he says, what are you doing, Elijah? And Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord. Like, I've done everything for you. And the Israelites have rejected your covenant and torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And God says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled the cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword and I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too and God said go back the way you came go to the desert of Damascus and when you get there anoint Hazel king over Aram also anoint Jehu son of Nishmi king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Saphet from Abel Maholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel. Elijah will put to death those who escape the sword of Jehu. But I reserve 7,000 of Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed them. Elijah just finished this power encounter against the prophets of Baal. All this power, all this excitement, and God meets him in this still, small voice. So we have these three radically different ways that God encounters three very different people. An attack, a natural phenomenon, a burning bush, and a, a whisper. God gets their attention in three radically different ways. 
And they're each radically different people in very different circumstances. And they're not necessarily looking for God in and of themselves. Jacob is sitting there contemplating whatever. Elijah is kind of looking for God. Moses isn't. But God is looking for them. And that's the good news. That God is looking for you. God is seeking us. God is paying attention to us. And he knows in his wisdom how to get their attention, how to get their attention in a way that they will respond. For, For Jacob, like if you flip these things around, they might not work very good at all. And if you do them to us, they might not work very good at all. Like if I'm on the mountain and the earthquake comes, I'm leaving the mountain. Like, I'm not waiting around for the fire and the wind and all that. I'm, like, gone. But God is still doing this. He's still looking for you. And he's making sure to get your attention. And he's not doing it in one particular way for all people. And it's so important, I think, that we understand this, that, that we, are, we are a variety of people. We are so unique, and God has created us that way, and he meets us exactly in the way that we need to be met. Like Jacob is a fighter, and he's facing the fight of his life in Esau, and God meets him in a wrestling match. He's willing to get down and get sweaty with Jacob. Moses has always been hiding his whole life, hidden, and now he's hiding in the desert after killing somebody. And God shows up. He says, you can't hide from me. You're actually going to deliver my people. Elijah is burned out. He's having a pity party. And God comes to him not in the power of, you know, this big power encounter that he just experienced against Baal. He says, look, I'm not in the earthquake. I'm not in the fire. I'm not in the windstorm. I'm in the stillness. I'm in the quietness. Right where they were, right as they needed to be met. And I want you to think about where you are right now. What is this moment for you? And what is it that you need from God? How do you need God to meet you? And it's so important that we don't try to copy or covet someone else's encounter. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I hear people all the time talk about them coming to faith if they grew up in the church, and they're embarrassed because they came to Christ when they were kids. Like, don't do that. Like, oh, it it wasn't very exciting, you know. I was raised in the church, and I came to faith when I was a kid, and like, like God was just like, yeah, we'll just like bink, put that one in. Didn't really matter, but they're five. We're just like, ah, we'll get him in there. It mattered to God 
when he encountered you at that age. That was really important to God to encounter you then. And, and you don't want to, just because someone else has this story of, yeah, and then I killed a million people, and then I did this thing, and then I was addicted to everything, and then I met Jesus. You don't need to covet that story and that encounter. That's, that's not your story. The point isn't the story. The point is God encounters us. That's the point. And we don't want to try to copy those encounters because it never works. What we want to be captured by is that God is still encountering people. That God is still ready to meet you as you need to be met. But we should never discount the way. The point is God wants to encounter you. If you read C.S. Lewis's experience of coming to faith, he talks about riding in a sidecar on his brother's motorcycle. And he says somewhere, they were going to the zoo, I think, and he says somewhere between leaving home and getting to the zoo, I became a Christian. And I don't really know when or how or why. I'm like, oh, that's exciting. Um, but that's how it happened to him. That we're all different people. We need different things. And God is, in his perfect love, loves you so much that he's willing to meet you in what you need. He's not like, it's not like the army where you're like, everybody gets this, and if you don't like it, too bad. That's not how it is. Someone asked me the other day, uh, we were talking about how we planted Imago. And when we planted Imago, we planted it with literally like 20 kids that were between 19 and 21. And with no money, you know, all the stuff. Not, not the way you're supposed to plant a church. And they asked, why didn't you start with like 20 rich people that had lots of connections and lots of networks and... I mean, the cool thing about those 20 kids is that they were willing to follow Jesus and do anything. Uh, if God said, hey, we're going to go feed the homeless, they were willing to do it. Um, where I don't know about the 20 rich people, you know. But the thing that I needed for me is I needed to know that if we planned this church and it worked, it was God. I needed that. Not everybody needs that. I needed that. And God was willing to give that to us. And that's grace. God is willing to meet you exactly as you need to be met. And so tell him, God, what do you need? Tell God what you need today. Do you know what it is? The third thing is that their encounter with God alters the trajectory of their life, like radically alters it. Jacob is going to limp for the rest of his life, right? One of the, one of the greatest lines is when uh, he's blessing Joseph's sons, and it says, by faith he leaned on his staff and blessed Joseph's sons. 
Um, Moses becomes the deliverer of God's people. He goes on to speak to God face to face. Like the encounter with God radically changes the trajectory of, of their life. And it's not just one encounter, but it's this continual, repeated encounter with God. And it's not a straight line. It's like encounter and then you wander off, and then it's, oh, encounter, and then you come back. It's like, if you, if you watch how, if you look at where Israel needed to go to get to the promised land, and then you look at the journey they went on, you're like, yeah, that that's pretty much sums up the Christian faith. It's like, it should have taken you like a week, but whatever. Uh, Forty years later, you're like, hey, we made it. that Elijah is literally taken up to heaven. He doesn't even die. He just goes right to heaven. Uh, that's a pretty, pretty strange trajectory. Um, everyone that encountered Jesus had their life trajectory altered. And so what it means is expect change. And we hate change. One of the things that's so weird is that churches hate change. And all God does is change us all the time. And we're like, well, we hate change. I'm like, we should, I don't know where we should go, but you shouldn't be in church if you hate change. Because that's all God is doing is changing us. And, and the beautiful thing about God is that the change is a, a gracious change, it's a kind change. It means expect to keep becoming like Jesus. Expect to keep being invited. This encounter with God is an invitation into a pilgrimage where you don't know exactly what's going to happen, but God is going to keep asking you to let go of that, to grab onto this, to become this, to step into this. And, and, in this encounter after encounter, you are going to keep changing. It's going to change the trajectory of your life. It's not, a, he's not going to produce something in you. You're not going to get zapped and you're done. It's going to be this gradual life change. God's encounters continue to invite us into this journey of transformation because it's a journey of relationship with a God that continues to meet us day by day. And, and so the question that I have for you is, what is God inviting you into now? What is that change that he's asking you to step into? What is the next place of becoming that God is inviting you into? And when you think about what the most important thing a church can be about is, you know, when, when you hear people talk about churches, it's like, well, I like this church because this church is on mission, and uh, I like this church because this church has, uh, the, they have the spirit. And, and what we tend to do is we build churches that copy encounters 
and we make the encounter what the church is about. And so sometimes we're like, we like big churches, we like small churches, we like high churches, or it might be Pentecostal churches or the Bible churches, but in those, because someone somewhere had an encounter, and we make that encounter the most important thing. It would look like this is the wrestling church. This is where we go and God, we wrestle with God every week, right? And this is the church where we whisper, we whisper, we hear the whisper of God, and this is a church where we have campfires. Everywhere. Like they're just burning bushes on the thing. And, and we're like, that's the way you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to show up and wait for God to take you down and wrestle you. Everyone on the front in wrestling clothes getting thumped by Jesus, you know. <laughs> and, we, and we tend to focus on how the encounter works and make that the most important thing about the church. But the most important thing about the church is that it's a place where God is. That God is here encountering you. Like we should be a church that has great groups. We should be a church that tries to do really good administrative stuff. We should be a church that serves the city. But the most important thing about this church uh, as my friend Tim Keller says, is, is it is a place where the real God encounters the real us. That's the most important thing about a church. That's why you should be here. To seek the truth of a fresh encounter. And not God as we imagine him, but God in all the good, bad, and ugly. It should be a place where we let the worship and the word of God pull back the curtain on our hearts and expose what's really there every week. But also pull back the curtain on God and expose all that God is. And then get out of the way and invite us to a table where we stand face to face with the God in the elements of bread and wine and encounter that God. Oftentimes, I think we are embarrassed of God. Like we, we pull the curtain back enough to say, look, isn't God nice and good and loving? And it's just like his nose and his big feet are sticking out. We're like, we're just trying to cover up the parts that you might not like. And I don't think that's the real God. We need to say, like, this is the whole of Scripture. This is the whole of God. You shouldn't be surprised. And all that God is, that God is to you. And you should come here to meet with God. Fresh encounters for you today. Not yesterday's, but today's. And the beautiful thing about it is that God says to us, the Holy Spirit is pouring God's love out into our hearts, pointing us to Jesus. And so what does it look like for you today to clear away all the clutter, to seek God for God? It's unique to you, but what does it look like for you? Do you need to read the Bible until you hear God? 
Do you need to pray or be quiet? Do you need to go outside alone? Do you need to serve with other people? Or do you need to pray with other people? Do you need to find a spiritual director or a soul friend? Do you, what do you need to seek God for God? Because God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that is the whole ball game. That is all that matters, is seeking God for God, is getting the real you before the real God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, that's encounter, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. God, as you encountered so many men and women throughout the scriptures in so many different ways, I thank you that you have spoken to us finally and fully in your Son, who has communicated who you are to us in the language of our own humanity. who is willing to go to the cross to die for our sins so that nothing, not sin, not shame, not death, could separate us from actually experiencing your presence, from seeing your face, from coming in to, to the very presence of your love and your goodness. And it's my prayer, Holy Spirit, that you would remove all the distractions, all the things that, that we demand or want that are not you. That you would take away all the false desires and longings. And so that today, God, when we leave here, we could say that the real us met with the real you. I pray that as we come to this table, God, that, that it would be a, a holy encounter. I pray that, that we would have the boldness to pray with brothers and sisters at these doors. But above all, God, I thank you that you, the God of all creation, actually want to meet with us and you meet with us specifically and uniquely just as we need to encounter you so come holy spirit we pray in the resurrected and living name of jesus christ
And everybody said, 